Hello, everyone, and welcome to the BAFTA Over the Moon virtual Q&A. I'm Angie Arago, and it's my great privilege to be the moderator. Let me introduce our special guests for this event, who are all over the world. Um, we have the legend that is Glenn Keane, an official Disney legend, and the man who created some of our best beloved animated characters, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, the very sexy beast in Beauty and the Beast, uh, Pocahontas, Tarzan, and an Oscar winner for his wonderful short, Dear Basketball. Hello, Glenn. We Hello, also, I'm here. <laughs> we also have actress Kathy Ang, who voices the charming Faith and plucky Fei-Fei. Hello, Kathy. Hi. And two producers, Jenny Rim, an uh, Emmy and Academy Award winner, a veteran of Pixar and D Disney, uh, who also produced um, Dear Basketball. And another Disney alumna, who is now the uh, chief creative officer for Pearl Studio, Palin Chow. Hello, Palin. Hello. Now, let me see. I would. I'd like to start with you, Palin. Actually, I. Uh, I believe when you joined Pearl Studio that you were instrumental in an, an initiative called the Brain Trust Summit. And I wondered if you could tell us what that is and how it led to Over the Moon. Sure. So um, I joined Pearl Studio in 2015 and um, I launched an initiative called the Brain Trust Summit, as you mentioned. And the idea behind that was to bring thought leaders from all around the world um, to our headquarters in Shanghai and uh, use the time of a span over a week um, to explore uh, ideas surrounding what's the best that Pearl Studio could be, and also to explore possible film ideas and project ideas. So in 2015, amongst the guests um, was Janet Yang, um, who is the executive producer, one of the executive producers of Over the Moon. And she, um, in one of our brainstorming sessions, uh, pitched the idea of uh, what if we did a modern day retelling of the Tonga tale um, and had it focused on a little girl named Feifei who was trying to get to the moon to prove that the moon goddess exists. So that was really the beginning of the story of this film. And how did you come to or why did you bring in screenwriter Audrey Wells? Yes, yeah, so, um, you know, when Janet pitched it, it was a wonderful idea, um, but obviously just the beginning of an idea, and we really wanted to partner with a writer to realize um, a script for what this film would be, and when we um, started to think about who might be the, you know, best screenwriter for that, uh, Audrey's name uh, was definitely at the top of the list. Um, she had uh, such a... Um, long history of writing amazing, strong female characters and, you know, such a gift um, with storytelling and uh, emotional storytelling. She used to always say all of her stories are about healing. Um, and we just were so excited that, um, you know, someone like her might be interested in our project. Um, when I pitched her the idea initially, which as I mentioned, the beginning was just really kind of the seed of an idea. Um, she latched onto the character of Feifei right away. Um, and you know, her response was, you want me to uh, write a story about a little girl that builds her own rocket ship to go to the moon? You know, I'm in. Like she was, she was very taken uh, about it from, from the very beginning. 
now Glenn, enter Glenn at this stage. I, um, I believe at uh, the International Animation Film Festival in Honesty, you gave a master class or a, a, a seminar or a presentation called Thinking Like a Child that, that, wowed, uh, that wowed Pearl. And I was wondering, what was, what was the nub of that? What is your thinking about uh, what you believe animation should be and what's important to you about storytelling and creating characters? Uh, well, it's something that uh, it, the longer you do animation, the more you reflect on what, what do all the people that you really admire artistically have in common? Um, from my dad to my mentors to artists like Picasso. Um, and they all had this, this one thing that they never lost that childlike view of life. And uh, so I, I just gave this talk on everything that I love about animation, which really that's at the pinnacle. Um, kids always say, hey, let's play make-believe. I mean, they actually have a gift that they can make themselves believe. Adults have that too, but we often forget it. Um, and that that is the common thread. And all the characters that I animate too have this, or that I was drawn to, have always believed the impossible is possible. And so I gave this talk about that. And that's when Pei Lin and Melissa Cobb were sitting in the audience and they, they realized, uh, that guy is talking about Feifei because no character believes the impossible is possible like she does. So afterwards, uh, Pei Lin contacted uh, Jenny and I and then the story continues. When you read the script, was there something in particular that grabbed you, uh, something that brought back childhood memories of your own? Well, yeah, I mean, I, for one thing, I, I just love the idea that Feifei is such a smart, intelligent kid. So you're gonna see, animate her thinking. And then she's also got this side of faith. She sees what nobody else sees. She believes what others don't believe. And both of those together were, I just felt compelled to want to bring this character to life. In the past, I would have animated her. Now I was being asked to direct the film, which was a wonderful leap forward for me. Um, and in reading the script, uh, I got to the place where Feifei is building a rocket to the moon. And I, I realized, oh, I think I lived this. This is crazy, a 12 year old girl building a rocket to the moon. I remember when I was seven, my dad for my seventh birthday came in to the living room where all my friends were. There's about six of us and they were gonna spend the night. And dad said, all right, I've got a surprise for everybody. Uh, I have a friend in uh, NASA and they have invented a new rocket ship and he's loaned it to me and I have it in the backyard. Would you like to go on a ride? And we're like, yes, yes. we're all jumping up and down. And he said, but, 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 but it's top secret. So. You can't see it, um, but I can blindfold you one by one and give you a ride. 
So one by one, we went out there blindfolded and you could hear ground control. And you're, you're walking, you climb up into the rocket ship and you're strapped in and, and dad says, now we're not going up in the stratosphere. There's a lot of kids in line waiting. So it's gotta be a quick little trip around the desert. This is in Arizona. So, um, you know, we're gonna have an open air cockpit. So you'll, you know, just experience the whole thing quickly. And we might visit a lake out there, Saguaro Lake. And then we'll land and so it gets down to the countdown you know where it's three two one lift off and everything starts shaking and you're going up in the air and you feel the wind in your face and you're flying around and we even went down by a lake and you could feel the water splash on you and then finally we land and you're unstrapped you're climbing off and then the blindfold is removed and there's my mom on one side of the lawn chair and my dad on the other as they had lifted at us around and there was a fan and there's a swimming pool and the shortwave radio for all the sound effects. And, um, and what was so cool about it, Angie, was the, the fact that I was not disappointed, but it was even more wonderful that this had all happened in my head. And as I was reading the script, I thought, I get the chance to do this for other people. And it's got to be as real as it was for me that day when I was seven years old, that pretty much every one of us have got that kid in us that wants to believe that this can actually happen. That is a wonderful story. Thank you so much. Your dad, of course, was Bill Keen, the cartoonist. He was clearly a very cool, wonderful guy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was so blessed to have him as my dad. Jenny, I wanted to ask you another another former Disney colleague. Um, now you're Korean American, so I, I gather that the the legend of the legend aspect wasn't part of your childhood background or upbringing. So what particularly resonated in this for you? Um, yeah, I am Korean American, and you know we have our own. Um, uh, myths about uh, the moon goddess that is specific to Korean, um, but the legend of Chang'e, this is the first time I had heard about it. Um, but when I, when Palin invited me and Glenn to one, hear the pitch, but also to read Audrey's script, um, I, I think 20 pages in, I was already like in tears. Um, I felt that this particular story of Feifei and, and what she so truly believed in, um, that she was willing to prove against all odds um, that she was gonna, she was gonna prove that this moon goddess was real. Um, I was pretty much like in at that point, this 12 year old Chinese girl to be able to tell her story and to show um, the world that there's this little girl who through her own stubbornness, determination, her own intelligence, she can get to the moon. And then it, it leads back to that idea of um, the impossible is possible, which is all the characters that um, Glenn loves to just bring to life. And I thought, this is amazing. Um, what an opportunity to help uh, bring this film to life um, alongside Glenn and Palin and to tell this new myth in to the world so that now children, whether you're in Brazil or Egypt or America or anywhere, um, you get to learn about this Chinese myth, which is such a wonderful story. So um, I was like, I, I was in, yeah, immediately, so. It's interesting that you managed to achieve something that is in its way so specifically Chinese and yet has such a universality. 
is that a is that a difficult tightrope to walk, or do you think that it just comes out of the story that you're telling? Um, yeah, I, to, for when I read um, about this little girl and her her journey, she's obviously going through grief, which is a human experience. Uh, and I think that whether you're in China or in any other country, um, grief is something that is so intimate and so personal and you feel so alone um, when you go through it. And that's um, when Audrey writes these stories of healing, you feel like there's a human connection regardless of where you come from. Now, what what was wonderful about our film is that we could speak to it authentically through the, the, the eyes of this little girl who happens to live in China and you get to experience what her day is like, what her family is like, what her home is like. Um, and, and we were really, really um, so uh, uh, dis disciplined in making sure every single detail was accurate. The authenticity part of telling her, her life um, was such an important part of our process. Um, Glenn and Palin um, and our whole crew, um, our production designer, our head of story, all went to China for this amazing research trip. But even beyond the research trip, we still had um, our incredible team in Shanghai that was like our our like fact you know finder of like okay, what would like this bottle in her kitchen look like? Like let's design the labels for this. Like what where would this you know stool be in her like house or all those little details we um we just with a fine tooth comb we just went through all of them. And it really uh, lends itself to how Glenn actually likes to work is that it's all the details that make the world so authentic. Um, sorry, um, and I, I can let Glenn kind of talk about his process because it was such a wonderful experience. Well, this is to, to all of you really, I very often films that are set in an Asian culture give us families that are, um, that can be seen as oppressive or repressive. The, the filial piety and obedience to the father are, are, are recurring themes, but this is entirely different. There's lots of love and fun in this family. And I assume that was the appeal for a lot. I mean, you have some major actors in this, Broadway stars like Philippa Sue and Ruthie Ann Miles, John Cho, Sandra Oh, Kenton Jeong, um, were they all turned on by the uniqueness of it? Kathy? Me? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think so. I think I, I've actually heard them speak in, in, in interviews how beautiful it is to see in this movie. You get to see a very Asian love. There's, there, there is a sense of the culture in their relationships at every moment, and they made sure to do that. And, you know, whether even if even if you have filial piety um, and I think that love exists in every single family and to see it in such a warm way is so wonderful because that's how I often felt when I grew up, even if there was family strife, like I do remember so many moments like that. And so I think it's important that people get to see that aspect of our lives and hopefully, you know, see us more completely. Um, and, and for me, I mean, I think, uh, I think there are just so many wonderful nuances in that family dinner scene in particular about the way that a 12 year old girl would handle you know a disagreement with a family she's 12 and she's headstrong and this is the most important thing to her but you know she's she's still uh 
she's she's still very Chinese. And um, I think I was very lucky to be able to portray that character and just kind of bring my soul to her because, you know, it's not often that you get to actually share your heritage in the art that you create. And um, I think uh, she paints a great character that my friends at least have have seen themselves in, even in the way she handles the difficult moments. And uh, I think that's beautiful. And also because, you know, AAPI kids will, like every kid, struggle at times in their lives. And to see a strong character navigate that, specifically being Chinese, I think it's important for them to see too. Now, Kathy, I know you've done a lot of theater and musical theater, and you'd worked with Jenny before on The Age of Sail. But when you were originally hired, it wasn't necessarily to play Fei Fei. I understand that. Can you tell us about coming in as a day player to record a temp demo of one of the songs and what happened next? What was that like? <laughs> um, well, I mean, it was pretty amazing. <laughs> I think uh, getting into the studio, we, we were recording the scratch record for the storyboard and um, we were recording the whole movie that day in the studio together. So there was just this sense of collaboration in uh, when we were there. What, where was it again? Like Yellow, Yellow Music Group yellow or something sound, in New York? Yellow Sound Lab. Yes, Yellow Sound Lab in this like tiny little studio in New York. And um, we were doing the whole movie that day and I just, you know, I got to sit in Feifei's words for hours and then we um, were recording the song at the very last minute. Um, the songwriters, we were still kind of like putting in little fixes here and there right up until we got into the booth. And I, I don't know what happened. It was some serendipitous thing. I, I just, I really connected with Feifei when I got into the booth and sang Rocket to the Moon. And uh, something happened in that take where I think we all understood who she was and these wonderful people believed that I could embody her. And um, then they brought me on for the movie. <laughs> and that take is the one that's in the film, I understand. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It, it was my first take in the studio, <laughs> uh, which is just an awesome story. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was my very first take. And they put the entire take also in its entirety into the film, which is insane. <laughs> And I have to tease Kathy because for months and months she kept saying, it wasn't very good. I can do it much better. And we were like, Kathy, it's the most perfect thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I also need you to confirm if this is true or not. I, I heard somewhere that you that your partner in real life is um is is studying or training to be an astronaut. He's not training yet, but he wants to be an astronaut, which I, is amazing. He's in his MD PhD right now studying biophysics and he wants to study humans in space. And uh, he is very jealous. Of, well, he's very happy for me, but we, I joke and tease him that I'm the first one to the moon. So. <laughs> Glenn, this is your first time, I believe, directing real live people. <laughs> And I wondered how you got on with Kathy and everybody and what that was like for, for both of you. Oh, well, <laughs> it's, it's really easy when you see the character that you've designed is in the story in the person that you are working with. I mean, when you talk to Kathy, uh, I mean, I half the time I call her Feifei. Um, and I just mistake that because she is Fei Fei to me. 
So I really feel like I am talking to Fei-Fei when I'm talking to Kathy. The same with Philippa Sue. I, these, these characters become them. Ken Jong is Gobi. Um, I really do look at them as if they are the characters in the film. Uh, that's just the way my mind works. It's always worked that way. Um, so it, it, was, it was really pretty wonderful to have the kind of a freedom that we had to build the crew, our voice team around these characters and keep hunting until we found the right one. Kathy was like, boom, right off the bat. Jenny knew, but Jenny didn't tell me she knew. She just said, oh, you, you, you want to meet my friend Kathy? And there was a group of people. And But the whole time she's thinking, Kathy is Fei-Fei. And after me talking to her for a little bit, I came back and said, Jenny, Kathy, she's Fei-Fei. I know, I know. It's, and it was <laughs> like, and then other times there was like really difficult to find the right character. Chen, Robert Chu was a gift. And we went through... I don't know how many hundreds of kids casting we went through and just about the point you're like, oh, I don't know how this is ever going to happen because we, it was very important that they be Asian voices as well. And Robert Chu walks in and he looks like Chin. He, he just was bursting with energy. I mean, he was like a superhero kid and you knew right off the bat, it was like, I just wanted to hug him, and I think we did. He just walks in immediately and gives you a big hug. He truly was a kid without any barriers. He just, the world was his oyster, is, and he's still that way. It's amazing. <laughs> I believe that Jenny also brought you together rather casually or not, not too uh, rigidly with the, um, the wonderful Canadian uh, Emmy-winning production designer, Celine Desrumeaux. Um, I wondered how it was for you to, what it was like, what was the process like for you to creating contemporary China and a kingdom on the dark side of the moon? Yeah, that was one of the biggest challenges. Um, reading the script, you're like, oh, this is really wonderful to go to the moon in Lunaria. What's it going to be like? And there's a goddess there and, and I'm caught up in it. And then, then by the time you finish the script, you're thinking, oh, <laughs> what is it like? How are you going to create this world up there? And like Wizard of Oz did it with black and white to Technicolor. And we didn't have that kind of a thing. I mean, I guess we could have done hand-drawn. Everything would have felt forced. It couldn't feel forced. It had to feel natural. And Celine, um, uh, once again, Jenny kind of connecting me to her and just sort of without any expectations, she knew that this was the girl to really design the film. And halfway in the conversation, I realized, I love the way this girl thinks. She's so um, connected to art, um, lifting animation beyond what's done before. I mean, you, you meet some people in animation and they really cling to formulas from the past. And then you meet others that have found animation is like 
the ultimate art form to push it beyond where it is. And that's the girl that I met. Um, and so <laughs> we went to China and she had actually been backpacking in China, which just happened to be at that same time that we were looking and she was there. So she came and joined us when we were in, in China and Celine, uh, we were walking around this little town in uh, China called Wuzhen, which became the town, Feifei's town. And Celine in her wonderful French accent says, um, Glenn, look at the white walls. And I said, yeah, yeah, they're white. No, they're not white at all. They're purple and green and blue. And, and she was describing all the reflected light on, on the, the plaster. And, and she has such a, a gift for seeing color and light. And so the, the first part of how we were going to translate the earth to Lunaria was there. It was going to be reflected light on earth coming in there. But Lunaria is a place born from Chang'e's tears. And so Celine took this idea and it was going to be um, light that emanates from within. It's, it's source light in Lunaria. And suddenly that became, wow, that's really a big difference, reflected light and source light. Um, and uh, part of it was inspired by the album cover from Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon with the prism and the white light exploding into a rainbow of colors. Celine just took it further than I would have ever imagined. And I'll never forget the day that she showed me Feifei standing in front of these glowing, wonderful spheres of color. And you have no words to describe. I was just amazed all you could do is laugh and cry at the same moment. I mean, that was just, it was, it's, I still watch it and I'm just in amazement. I never get tired of it. Thank you. Palin, I also, I love that you got the spectacular Chinese haute couturier um, Guo Pei to design Chang'e's lush costumes. How on earth did you manage that? <laughs> Well, you know, um, when we were talking about costuming uh, Tanga, who is literally a goddess, um, we knew that we wanted to do something really, really special. And, um, you know, we wanted somebody that would be able to ground the design in Chinese authenticity, um, but also have it feel modern and, and fresh and revolutionary in a way. And I think when um, we looked at all of that criteria, um, you know, we felt like, well, there's only one person on earth that can do it and that would be Guo Pei. Um, but how on earth are we um, going to convince her to do our film? So uh, we reached out and connected um, with her um, people. And um, we actually learned that in Guo Pei's youth, um, she had aspirations of being an animator. Um, so it was a world that was really, really uh, intriguing to her. Um, and of course we shared with her, um, you know, that this was the opportunity to 
um, you know, designed uh, wardrobe for the iconic uh, Chang'e moon goddess. And um, of course, we told her all about our wonderful director um, and, you know, what a uh, amazing um, project this was um, going to be. So uh, we were really fortunate that uh, she was open to um, dialoguing with us and, and hearing more um, about what we um, had set off uh, to create. Um, and we uh, serendipitously um, were able to get her in a room with Glenn because she um, had a exhibit opening in Vancouver. Um, and we were working with Sony Imageworks in Vancouver and the exhibit was literally across the street um, from where Glenn was already going to be and she was going for the opening. So um, I should pass it to Glenn to share about that first uh, very serendipitous meeting. Glenn, she doesn't speak English. And you don't speak Chinese, so what happened? Well, we speak drawing. <laughs> and we sat and we drew. We did have a translator there for a while. Um, and it was it was wonderful. I mean, her husband was translating, I don't know, for the first half hour or whatever. And then um, uh, for whatever reason, he had to get up to leave and didn't come back for uh, like an hour. Uh, <laughs> and Wolfay is such a explosion of creative energy. She talks a million miles an hour and with her hands and we were both drawing and painting on the same paper. The paper was too small for her. So we needed to make it bigger. So we kept adding paper and watercolor and um, I, it, it's the most wonderful experience to talk to somebody for that long, not understand a single word they say and yet understand everything that they love and desire in creating this beautiful world for Chang'e. I, I remember just seeing her hands, how her hands would move. And, and she's talking at the same time, but I'm watching those hands and I know she's describing silk and the way it should float and, and telling her um, in CG, I know, well, I know in the real world how hard you search for fabrics and she does. She searches everywhere for the best, lightest silk possible. But in CG, you can have super silk. You can, everything can be, you can create your own physics. And she, her eyes lit up and as she talked about the fabric and the designs. And so even in the animating, we would recall the movement of her hands and tried to put that in there in the chamber of exquisite sadness. She is such an integral part of bringing Chang'e to life. I'll bet Philippa Sue was was uh, frustrated that that her character has all these gorgeous getups and she's in a studio sitting there recording in presumably her sweatpants or something. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn, you now you grew up, Glenn, and made a career by drawing things with pencils. Um, and now you're working with character designers who draw on a computer. Have you become a techno whiz with all these kitties now? Uh, Jenny can answer that. <laughs> not a techno whiz. <laughs> um, he still says things like uh, thingamajig or gizmo. <laughs> so we're we're trying to you know get him more modern and understanding um, things yeah. beyond the jazz drive. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I've learned, though, that 
no matter what the technology is, no matter how much you know today, I mean, like if you could take Jenny and push her forward 10 years from now, because right now she, nobody knows technology like she does. Oh, but no, that's not true. It doesn't matter, Jenny. Like I'm still, I'm still going to be drawing. Um, and if you can, if you can delineate precisely what it is that you want, and so somebody else can understand it, they will write the code to figure it out. The biggest yeah. problem is when you just say, um, I want Feifei's face to look more Chinese, or I just want her to be more sincere and beautiful or whatever. You can't do general things. Uh, like studying Asian eyes was really so wonderful. I mean, I had an excuse to, to look at, at our crew and just, I mean, we have so many Asians working on our crew because Jenny really built that team so that we, it was as authentic as possible. And I just learned where the curves need to go in designing that, that eye and building that. I mean, there's so many, many, many tiny little details like that. And I guess I'm, I'm kind of talking technology, but I'm not, it's all technology is in the service of, of truth and pinpointing what you are asking somebody to put their time and money. I mean, it's everything costs money. Everything has to be figured out. Um, so where do you emphasize those, those important choices? Yeah, I, I can uh, just to follow up on that very quickly is that Glenn, he has such um, the, the specific needs and there's such um, a passion from all of our tech team to wanna really understand and deliver what it is that he, cause that's only gonna push the art form that much further forward. And it's, it really is that intersection, that beautiful marriage of art and technology coming together to make something new, um, which I feel like we uh, did definitely accomplish on this film, but it really came from Glenn's deep understanding of, of the art itself. When you've got artists in Shanghai and something like a hundred animators in Vancouver and everybody all over the place. I mean, how do you keep everyone on the same page as it were? Um, we were really blessed because actually the idea of remote working <laughs> happened very early on in our film because of our, our crew being worldwide. Um, so Glenn had this big TV in his room, which was like what he called his window into the world because we would have these um, <clears throat> remote meetings and it would be all these faces from Spain or Shanghai or Montreal, um, Vancouver. I mean, all through the day, we'd be having meetings with all of our artists and it really comes down to time zone <laughs> was the probably the biggest factor, but we would always make it work um, and everybody was just really uh, loving the fact that you can connect, even though we might be, you know, spatially very far away, that conversation was so present, whatever we would be discussing, whether it's, you know, something authentic to the design or a story point or music, um, all of those things would very much happen in Glenn's little office. Um, and uh, we didn't feel at all removed. I mean, of course, 
we love the, the, the opportunities when we are together, but I think um, we made up for that by having as much contact as possible with the obstacles of space. But um, even Glenn um, would be doing animation dailies and he could draw over frames of an animator's uh, scene and give that direct feedback right there. I mean, we made it so convenient to be able to communicate um, in, all, in all the ways. Um, even though we were separated and, and when um, coronavirus hit and we all had to go to our respective homes all over the world, we actually um, only had about a week and a half where people weren't able to work. And of course, between me and Palin, we were like kind of freaking out because we're like, we still had to finish this film. And um, thankfully our all of our teams and our partners got us up and running within matter of days and uh, that communication was so strong already because we had been remote um, that we just dove right in and the dedication from our teams to, to finish and complete this film um, at the quality that we had already laid down was pretty amazing. And um, we are so appreciative of all of our teams for making it happen. So It is amazing. I, I, I must touch on the music because this is not only the first feature length animated film from a Hollywood and studio that's got an all Asian cast, but it's a musical. Um, <laughs> you didn't make things easy for yourself. Now, Paylin, I, I gather that among the many interesting things that you're doing at Pearl Studio, you've got an artist in residence program for songwriters. And that's how you recruited this rather unexpected Broadway meets K-pop collaboration. Could you tell us about that? Um, sure. So um, actually only the Broadway part of the Broadway meets K-pop collaboration um, made it to Shanghai, but um, Pearl Studio had an artist in residence um, program. Uh, it happened four times a year and each time focused on a different discipline. Um, so, uh, you know, viz dev writers, uh, a viz dev artist, storyboard artists, uh, screenwriters, and songwriters. So um, for the songwriter uh, uh, session of it, um, one of the songwriting teams that came was Chris Curtis and Margie Duffield. And um, the idea of the residences over a week of time, you kind of um, come to like a, you know, sandbox with the development team and the visual development artists at Pearl and you explore um, creatively developing one of the projects just for the fun of it, really nothing beyond just developing your craft. Um, and so when they came, we pitched them our whole slate of projects and said, you know, just pick one that you feel inspired by and would like to write songs for. Um, and Chris and Margie picked Over the Moon. Um, at the time, it was just a project in development, one of many projects. Um, it wasn't greenlit. Um, and, uh, you know, we um, had them uh, really just write whatever, whatever hit them, whatever struck their inspiration. Um, and they um, wrote uh, two different songs, and um, one of them uh, has the beginning of what the eventual Rocket to the Moon uh, became, um, was the beginning of the song that they started to write and explore. Um, and the most serendipitous thing about them writing it uh, when they did is it happened when they were in Shanghai, um, they wrote the song and the very next morning, 
Um, I had a video conference meeting with Glenn and Jenny to pitch them the project, to pitch them over the moon. So um, after I shared what the idea of the film was and um, told them I would send over the script, um, I was able to um, bring Chris and Chris, actually Chris Curtis is the um, piano playing part of the duo, um, into the room and I asked Glenn and Jenny if they'd like to hear a song that was just written for Over the Moon last night. Um, and they uh, were game and so Chris sat down and, and played it and so that was kind of uh, when Rocket to the Moon um, was first born. Of course, much later, Helen Park uh, became a part of the trio, and that's when Chris and Margie were brought onto the film proper. Uh, all three of them came on at the same time, officially, and became the songwriting trio of our film. Did I, I'm, I have to ask, uh, Audrey Wells sadly, uh, sadly died, and I wondered if she'd had the opportunity to see any of the film or hear any of the music before she died. She heard all the music actually. Um, and she she lived to see the first screening of the film. We were so blessed um, and she loved it. So it was it was wonderful. And we spent time at her home, um, you know, where the songwriters, we, we were all there and exploring the songs. And uh, she was definitely uh, a really significant important part of the journey of turning this into a musical. Woo. Gonna cry again now. Now I've been hog I've been hogging you here, but I better check in and see if see if our audience participants have some questions. There's one here from Steve Hawthorne, who said now he doesn't say who this is addressed to, so all of you can chime in. Please may you talk about the challenge of warming to Fei Fei and being invited into her world while she was expressing her negative emotion, um, uh, uh, causing her grief. Mm. Yeah, well, Fei Fei becomes the vehicle for everybody watching this movie. Um, and the, the challenge of telling a story of this kind of depth and weight, um, it can become really heavy. Uh, and so you, you have to have a vehicle that takes them through it, not just through the dark times, but the joyful times. and. Um, Fei-Fei is that kind of a character. And Audrey was a genius in bringing such color into this story uh, that Fei-Fei would take you from. But they had to be really authentic moments, um, which goes back to the building of the character, the, the designing of a character that could communicate the emotions that we were seeing on Kathy's performance when we would record her, because uh, Kathy is, so much more than a singer, she's she is a a liver in the skin. I mean, she's liver in the skin. She's she lives in the skin. She's what <laughs> she she puts her whole heart and soul into the every moment of that. And you would see those expressions, um, and yet you have to animate it. That is really really the hardest stuff. I remember one shot where Fei-Fei for the first time sees her dad and Mrs. Zhang's hand touch. And in this short little scene, Fei-Fei's world has to turn upside down. And it's, it's a shot where nothing happens. Uh, she doesn't move or anything. She just sees it. And I was taught by my mentors Glenn, don't animate what the character is doing. 
animate with the characters thinking and feeling. And this is my favorite shot in the movie because it's Fei Fei's eyes just widen and all the details we put into the rigging and the building of the character were being used. And her eyebrows just squeeze together a little bit and then ratchet up a little bit more as Fei Fei realizes not only is this weird, this is horrible, this is the worst. So it goes from, you know, like 100 degrees to 200 in the last part of the shot where her, her little corners of her mouth go down and then the intensity of the brow pushes even more and you feel, you feel for this girl. And at that point, you are hooked. You will follow this girl somehow her world has to be turned right side up because it's at that moment, her world is turned upside down. And it's so beautiful. Um, am I answering your question? Because <laughs> that's kind of, that's where I'm thinking. I think so. Uh, we have another question come in from Cheryl Lau. This is a question for Glenn. Was that beautiful hand-drawn sequence with Chang'e and Hao Yi near the beginning of the film, something that was planned from the start? How did the idea of integrating those hand-drawn elements into a 3D film develop? Um, well, as soon as I read that, I thought, oh, it needs to be an illustration come to life, so let's keep it in an illustration form, and I get to do it. <laughs> so I set that aside, um, and I'm a procrastinator, and it was difficult. So it was, I think, the very last shot approved in the whole film was that that piece. Aiden Terry, who is my assistant in Deer Basketball, was helping me with that. Uh, so I animated it. He assisted with it. It was really, really quite a challenge because you are mapping the hand-drawn onto a CG element of the scarf. Um, and I don't know, Jenny, was there anything else? Got yep. it. <laughs> you covered that. Well, it worked beautifully. Glenn, I think you also made your acting debut, did you not? Didn't you voice a character <laughs> briefly? Yeah, yeah, I was the voice of the space dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, everybody gets pulled in. I mean, I think Jenny, you did a voice and you don't even get credit for it, but I think it, you were at the, the store window ordering one of the mooncakes. Pretty much it was the most important role of my life. Yeah. <laughs> we have another question in from Chris Hutchison. Firstly, congratulations on the film. I watched it last weekend and absolutely loved it. I was wondering, how do you maintain consistency among the characters with different animators? Do you have specific teams on certain characters that stay with them throughout the film or are they shared out? That's a great question. Yeah. Jenny, you wanna answer that? Um, sure, but I'm sure you, you should jump in here. But um, we, we had um, started this film thinking we would have a very small little crew of less than 60 animators, which is already a lot, but we what to be able to one, address that, the consistency and to make sure that we had a very, very strong crew that really understood these characters. Um, but as time grew <laughs> and our schedule was, just this roller coaster, um, we ended up growing to about 100, um, 100 plus animators in the end. Um, and yeah, consistency was a, a big issue. But I think what was great about our, our team, um, and I will do a shout out to 
Sasha Kapajimpanga, who was our um, animation supervisor at um, Sony Pictures Imageworks, he and his team of leads um, really made sure that all of the animators were referencing each other. Um, when we felt like, oh, this, yes, this is the, this is what you need to be like shooting for, for, you know, eye shapes, mouth shapes, all those things. We wanted to make being propagated throughout the crew. And, and Glenn had many conversations with, um, with the crew very intimately saying like, you know, here's where I feel like we're getting really great success in, in nailing the character. So let's, let's highlight these and here's where I would adjust these. But, um, but really at the end of the day, Glenn was in um, all of the dailies and he had that ability to draw over every frame and he did. <laughs> and he was guiding every single mouth shape and eye shape and, uh, you know, pose like he I and Glenn you talk about it you would say you you drew probably more on this film than any other film because you were just giving so much guidance at a very very specific level um so I I say it's really um the team and also Glenn's input on all the way through and addressing that specifically I was worried about that um because Little Mermaid I had uh an actress come in that we filmed um and that was going to be our, our unifying look of that character all the way through. Kathy would have been fantastic to do that with. And so I was thinking, well, this is what we should do. And uh, I talked to Sasha and Sasha said, Glenn, I would really like for each animator to shoot their own live action of themselves. Um, and that worried me because, well, there are gonna be different interpretations. But then he said, because they will feel what Feifei feels. They will be animating from an inner place and really put themselves into that. And I just thought, wow, if we can accomplish that, you're gonna believe every moment in this film. And we will work on, you know, whatever inconsistencies, pulling that together. But that's what we did. And I, I just think that that's the best best way. Uh, it, it really, really turned out beautifully. Now, I also, halfway through, um, I had worked with John Cars before, and John is one of the greatest animators in the world, and in CG, um, uh, doing so much at Pixar, and bringing him on, and helping at that point where our team was beginning to explode, and John loves drawing as well. And he draws with his left hand. I draw with my right hand. At one point, we're both drawing over some poor animator's work shoulder to shoulder uh, as, as we're giving guidance. And so a huge part of the success, I think of that truth of that performance is, is really from working with John too. Thank you. We have a question from um, Sara Taramo. What was the challenge, what was the character design that gave you the biggest design challenge? And did you have any specific modern pop star in mind when designing and animating the moon goddess? Uh, well, probably the biggest, the toughest character, you wouldn't think it, but it was Bungie. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, the other characters you can design and you can get pretty close to what they need to look like. And 
Um, there's a lot of performance issues. Chang'e certainly was like really, really tough. But Bungie was the one like, oh, this isn't gonna work. Oh gosh, how this, because it's like, if you've got a fluffy dog um, and you give it a bath or like a cat, nobody can give a cat a bath, but if you can, they just, their hair just goes down and they look like a drowned rat. So in designing Bungie, she was mostly puff, you know, but you, you had to animate her without the, you had to do it with, with just the inner part. And, and she just didn't look good until all that fur was added at the end. And then she was wonderful. And it was really, really hard to wait till that point. And uh, yeah, but, oh, gosh, I was just, this was a gift when Bungie was turning out so wonderfully and you realize, wow, those folks at uh, Imageworks in Vancouver, Sony were just like phenomenal with cloth and hair. Well, Bungie is the greatest bunny ever. Um, we were, we were, we're short on time, but we've got a question that's, this is, this is not a 25 words or less question from Johannes Wolters. What is the strength of storytelling in animation compared with storytelling in live action? To all of you, I guess. <laughs> Kathy? I mean, for me, just coming from an actor, acting perspective, there's just zero limits. And, um, and uh, you know, you get to truly create incredible universes that people have never imagined. Um, and so getting to watch that and also collaborate as an actor, because like you said, there's hundreds of people working on this character with you. I think that's something amazing that I've experienced in this animated feature. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Is so that anyone else on that topic? I'll just add one of my favorite things about storytelling and animation is you get so many chances at getting it right. Um, because in live action, you have a script, you shoot it and then that's it. And you know, you can affect it in post but you only have what you have. In animation, um, you get to see the whole movie up on storyboards um, many, many times, and you can completely start over and scrap back to and do something completely new and different and really you know, get many, many chances and iterations of making sure that the characters and the story is tracking the way that you, that you want it to. So that's, to me, one of the things I enjoy the most about developing for animation. We're running low on time, so I just want to say that it's it, thank you so much for a film that manages to be charming and funny and so deeply poignant. And it's so important right now with what we're all, everything that's going on, to see a film that's about empathy and understanding humanity and others. And, you know, everybody wants to be loved. Well, everybody wants to love and be loved. And it seemed to me that was what this was about. Thank you all so much for your time, for joining us and your insights. And thank you everyone who, who tuned in. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.